want to say that it is good to be with you. We're glad that you're all here this morning. Come to worship God with us. Hopefully we'll have something to say that you'll be able to use as you go along life's way. I appreciate all the ones that have come from North Central Texas, particularly from Gunner. And uh, I, believe it or not, I have material you haven't heard. Weird stuff just keeps happening. And so life is just full of uh, opportunities for me to tell stories and, uh, and preach the gospel a little bit. The brethren asked me if I needed PowerPoint, and uh, I told them, no, we're going without a net. And so that's the way we, and in fact is, here's our, our notes for the morning. So if you want to post those on your website, I'll be glad to give you a copy. <laughs> Shouldn't take more than two or three minutes to write that out. But I have, a, I have a thought this morning that I want to share with you, and it's something that I've never spoke on at uh, any of the congregations in the Brotherhood. I've actually put this together to be a baccalaureate service. You know, when the kids are graduating high school and, and they will have one of the churches, we have three in Gunner, and, and so they will rotate and we'll take our turn doing that. And I designed this as a, a kind of a baccalaureate, well, it was a baccalaureate service and all that. And, and the difficulty you have with baccalaureates is I've got to tell 30, 40 kids there dressed exactly alike how different they are from everybody else. And uh, it's kind of a challenge. But I want you to know these things in the Bible that we use are stories that are important for adults as well as for young people. I want to talk to you about David and Goliath a little bit this morning. We don't preach on that too much because I guess we've relegated that back to the story of children. It's not a child's story. There's a lot of truth that needs to be taken from the story of David and Goliath for adults and even us that are, that are older. In verse number 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. You know, this Philistine, this giant Goliath, he came up every day and he said, send me your champion and we're going to have this big fight. There's no need in having this big war and big battle and all that. I'm going to take him on one on one and the winner takes all. Winner gets everything. If I defeat your champion, your people will be our slaves. If, you if your champion defeats me, we'll be your slaves. And he come out every day and said that David come to bring food to his brothers. Of course, they thought he thought an awful lot of himself. They'll tell you that earlier in the chapter. That David was pretty arrogant about things. But he was wondering, where is, why are you guys afraid? Why are you standing back? Why, why, won't anybody step up? And fight this guy? He is defying the armies of the living God. Now surely there were bigger, stronger, more powerful men in that army than this kid David. In fact is, David wasn't serving in the army. He was carrying food to his brothers. And apparently that's what you did back then. The family kind of took care of the, the soldiers. And his older brothers, surely, they've, they've beat this little kid up since he was a baby. There's got to be better than him. And so he got tired of listening to this giant come out there and challenge them and everybody cowering in fear. He got tired of that. And he said, I'll fight him. Sure you will, kid. It was nice knowing you. You know, that's kind of the attitude everybody's going to have with him. A lot of the older ones in this room have already faced Goliath. If you go through life very long, you're going to face him. If you live to be very old at all, Goliath is out there and he is very, very real. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that the devil has come to kill, to steal, and to destroy. 
just as real as if it was that giant standing there in front of David with all his armor and his sword. The Bible talks about how big all that stuff was, and he's impressive. You are going to face very real challenges in life. You're going to face them in your spiritual life. Are we prepared? He's out there, and he wants to challenge you spiritually. There may be sin issues that we're fighting. There may be financial things. It may be family things that we're fighting. It could be health things. You know, my right side, I can't hardly raise the arm now. The right side doesn't work. Used to. Doesn't now. I have brother-in-laws that fly airplanes. I didn't fall and hurt myself. I lost altitude. <laughs> and so I lost some altitude the other day. And now the right arm doesn't work. But you know what? I don't want to go to the doctor because I had the left side done. <laughs> and I don't want to do that again, you know. But you have health issues as you get older. Spiritual issues. From young and old. But I want you to know that Goliath is real. And he's in the form of Satan. And he's going to make it look good, folks. But in the end, he's going to kill, steal, and destroy. Are you able to stand and meet him? Are you going to be ready when it comes? Do you know the most dangerous time for a new Christian? The first 12 months. Right after you obey the gospel. That's the most dangerous time. That's the most vulnerable time. Because that is called a babe. And you know we bring babies into the world. And for years and years we, we nurture them and we protect them. Because left to themselves they will not survive. New Christians. I want you to know that Satan's going to attack. And he's going to attack hard. Because he doesn't want you to be a Christian. He doesn't want you to be saved. He doesn't want you to follow this Jesus. And he's going to put every stumbling block he can in front of you. Are you ready to meet him? David was. He said, I am ready to meet him. You know, the stakes are high, folks. These are high stakes David and Goliath were going after. Two nations were at risk here. And we're putting the fate of a nation in the hands of this kid. He's not even, he's wet behind the ears. He's green. And we're going to put the fate of our nations in the hands of this kid. And look at the enemy over there. I have a little brother-in-law when he was playing high school football. Went to a game. And they played a school that was probably a couple of classes higher. Big stadium and all that. And so they, their little team come out. And then this other team with the marching bands and all that. And there were more cheerleaders than they had people on the squad. <laughs> and all that. And the stands were roaring. You know, they lost that game before they ever set foot on that field. Because of right here. They were beat before they ever got out there. The stakes are high. And you're going to be facing some high stakes. You know, we have a, a saying at home. So a lot of you may have Joshua 24. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You may have that on a plaque. We call those Hobby Lobby verses, you know. Because you go down there and you can buy your plaque at Hobby Lobby and put your favorite verse up. And everybody will know you're religious then because you put up a Hobby Lobby verse. But... There is a prayer that they put on that I think would help us a lot, folks, whenever we're dealing with problems in life. It's called the serenity prayer, and a lot of you know it. We, there's a lot of truth in this, too. It says, give me the courage to change the things I can. Give me the patience to accept the things I can't change, and give me the wisdom to know the difference. And that's the big one. You know, the things we can change and things we can do something about 
We need to do it. We need to get out there. We need to fight. We need, but there's some things you just can't do anything about. What if the economy crashes tomorrow? Okay. I can't say I didn't get a vote because I did. But, <laughs> but you know, ain't much you can do about that. What if all the water on the high plains is used up? They've been telling me that's going to happen for 40 years now, and it's still got water. In fact, is you got some yesterday, and may get some more today. But what if it does? What are you going to do about it? What if somebody gets a nuclear bomb and drops it on us? I know exactly what to do, because in second grade, they taught us what to do. You get under your desk. Cover your head. That's all there is. I don't know why we're building all these, these armaments. All we need is a desk. And you get under it and they can drop all the bombs they want on you, apparently. What if they do that? You can't do anything about it. You know, I was one of these that thought that when you got a kid past 20 and grown, you didn't have to worry about him anymore. Whew. Man, was that an awakening. <laughs> you know, now that they're grown, you worry more about them now than you did when they were 10. When they were 10, you just told them what to do. You know how long it's been since I lived here? Here's how I keep up with that. In March of 1980, I know exactly what we were doing. Jeremy was being born in this hospital across town over here. This March, he'll turn 40. So I know how long it's been. And you know what? There are a lot of times you may want to step in with kids. You know, 40-year-old kids don't really. And, and I can't believe I just said that. 40-year-old kid? They really don't take to that too good, Dad. You know what I mean? There's some things you can do things about. David could do something about this. You can do something about your spiritual life if you want to. You can make changes if you want to. Now, the Bible teaches that change is hard, but change is possible. Now, I'm going to give you something, give you a statistic. It takes six weeks for something to become a habit. It takes six months for it to become an addiction. Now, we've spent a lifetime getting ourselves in the mess we're in. You really think we're going to straighten out all our problems in five lessons? You talk about instant. That is instant. I mean, you've lived to be 30, 40, 50, 70 years old. And you really think in five short lessons, 45 minutes each, by the way, we're going to straighten all of our life's problems out? Do you really? No, that starts the race, folks. Change is going to take time. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be failures. You've got to get back up and get back at it. The old guys used to say, get back on that horse. Now, I got a hold of a horse one time that a lady wanted me to fix. He bucked all the time. And I go, well, why would he do that? And she goes, well, every time we try to ride him, he bucks us off. And I go, what do you do? They go, we pull the saddle off and feed him. Let that one sink in a minute. Yeah, there's a habit. Now, folks, you can make changes, but it's hard. And it's not going to be easy. You can turn things around. We can correct things if we want to. But you've got to want to. You know the weakness in my game in counseling? And I haven't ever confessed this to the folks in Gunner, so don't take this home repeating this stuff. The, it's creating want to. I can show you things to do to change your life, but I can't create the want to. That's got to come from inside you. David had the want to. Now, when he comes up to, to, to Saul, 
Saul says this in verse 33 of 1 Samuel 17. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go up against this Philistine to go fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. You can't do it. Do you know how many people are going to tell you that? You decide right now, I'm going to go to work for Jesus. I am going to give my life to the Lord and I'm going to get involved and I'm going to go to work. And I guarantee you from the oddest places, people are going to go, you? You can't do that. You can't. What makes you think you can do that? And you get discouraged. And my question is, why not you? And if Christians aren't going to do it, who is going to do it? Do you think preachers are just born? Do you think people doing Bible studies are just born? People that can visit a hospital, they just born visiting hospitals? Well, maybe they start there, I guess. No, they learn how to do this. They use the talents that God gave them. But you're going to have naysayers saying you can't do it. Now, I want you to listen to this, folks. Who are you? to tell somebody how to live. That's what I think all the time. Who am I? I ain't got all the answers to this. And people, Bev hates this saying. That's why I use it all the time, I guess. Bev hates this saying when I read the Bible to someone. I didn't, I didn't write it. I just read it. I don't have all the answers. The Bible does. Who am I to tell you how to live? I got my own problems. Now you listen to me. God uses imperfect people. And you're witnessing that this morning. God uses imperfect people to do his perfect will. You know why? He don't have any choice. He, he, that's all he's got is imperfect people. You know, we all think that if we live back in the days of the apostles, oh, I'd have loved to have known Peter and James and John and all that. They'd have got on your nerves in 10 seconds. And you know it. Jesus knew their imperfections. He knew what he had with Judas and he knew what he had with Peter. And even though Peter was not perfect, he goes, I can use him. And he did. Paul would get on your nerves. You talk about a guy with a one-track mind. I mean, can't we take a vacation every now and then? I mean, come on, man. No, he was, he was nose to the grindstone. Go to work. You think you'd get along with that? But God used imperfect people to do his perfect will and he wants to use me and you both to do his perfect will and yes we can do it and yes we should and I'm going to tell you a story I like this one there was this kid in Italy I, I, I don't know whether his name was Anid or Anid or how you say the kid you know I don't speak Italian so at any rate but it was in around the turn of the century talking the 19th the 20th century and his dad was a sheet metal worker there in uh, Italy and his dad took Annie, took him to a car race back then. And man, they went around the track at 80 miles an hour. His eyes were that. And I know to y'all, a lot of you are doing 80 by the time you hit the highway. But back then, that was something. And you ever see the tires on those race cars? They're not much bigger than a bicycle wheel. I mean, you had to have courage to do this. And there was a giant out there, a Goliath, that dominated the racing world. Fiat. Yeah, smart car. Yeah. <laughs> Real dominant, boys. <laughs> but back then, they were dominant. And they still are a dominant racing outfit over in, in Europe, even to this day. And going home, all he did was talk about that race. And he told his dad, one of these days, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to build a car and I'm going to beat Fiat. His dad patted him, 10-year-old, on the head. Yeah, go ahead, kid. Yeah. 
have at it. <laughs> and then he grows up a little high in high school and his dad goes, you know, son, you might ought to, you, need, you know, you're going to need a real job. Get away from this racing thing. Got into college and he studied motors and things like that. He wouldn't give this dream up. Everybody's telling him, you can't do it. Look at them. They're established. They're a huge corporation. You can't beat them. Eventually, he built a car and he destroyed Fiat. His last name was Ferrari. Now, let me ask you something. If you had a chance, and those of you that know cars, are you going to drive a Fiat or a Ferrari? <laughs> you know, and I know that at, at back home, we even ask God, goes, Lord, give me a new Ferrari so I can deliver meals on wheels. You know, we, we, we need this. But in spite of everybody telling him he couldn't do it, he did it anyway. You can do that. Now, let me tell you a true story about church work. Back 40-something years ago, I met a man here in Plainview. And I set a Bible study up with him. And I was very excited. Very first Bible study I was ever going to do. And I come back from setting that study up and just cloud nine, went to church. And a lot of the older brethren back then, that a lot of, most of them have gone on now, but they were back then. And, that, and they, I come up and told them about this study I was doing. And one of them goes, well, I hope he's not Hispanic. His name's Al Garcia. What do you think he is? Okay. I said, well, his name's Al Garcia. And they go, ooh, you, you, can't, you can't talk to Hispanics like that. No. And then one of them goes, man, I'll tell you what, I hope he ain't over 40. He was 60. <laughs> and I go, he's 60. And they go, oh, you can't convert old people. They, they're just setting their ways. And then the other one goes, boy, I hope he ain't Catholic. Strike three. You're out of there, baby. I mean, one, two, three. And I hadn't even done the first study. And it's over. The game is over. So I went and did the study with Al Garcia. And at the end, this is the way, and this is the only time I've ever done this, by the way. Because I was fixing to learn. God was fixing to teach me a lesson. I knew because everybody had told me, you can't do this with this guy. And when I ended the study, I said, well, Al, that's it. I ain't got nothing else. What do you think? Now, isn't that impressive? That'd make you want to go jump in the water, wouldn't it? Yeah, baptize me. And you know what he looked at me and he said? He goes, I'll tell you what I think. I think I'm in the wrong church. Would you baptize me? This ain't supposed to happen, people. I'm hearing Twilight Zone music. And I learned two things from that. One is you can convert people that have a good heart. There are people with a good heart that are looking for the Lord, and if you'll tell them the story, they'll obey the gospel. And think about it. How did we all get here? Somebody told us the story, and we obeyed the gospel. Now, some of us may have been raised in the church, but you were still told the story by somebody. Some of us come a different route to get here. Got here as quick as we could, but somebody told us the story. And it worked on us. What makes you think it won't work on somebody else? And the second thing I learned is don't listen to the brethren. The gospels, there's power in the gospel. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. And that power that was in there in the first century is still there today. Don't let people tell you you can't do it. Yes, you can. What do you want to do? What place of service do you want to have? Now, years ago, from the Bridgeport congregation, they've got an elder over there by the name of Joe Richardson. And Joe was much younger back then. 
And I was all into doing Bible studies and going out and knocking on doors and stuff like that. And still am, by the way. But he come in and he made a statement to the brethren. And I like to fell out of my pew and with a heart attack in the aisle. You know what he said? Can you believe this? He said, if all you can do is keep the seat warm, don't let it get cold. You got, I, I was having a coronary. I mean, this is awful. You can't tell these people that. We'll all just sit here and do nothing, Joe. You got to get out there. You got to knock on doors. You got to do, you got to. That was 40 something years ago. I'm much older now than I was then. And here's what life's taught me. If all you can do is keep the bench warm, don't ever let it get cold. <laughs> I mean, can't we do that much? Can't we at least show up? Can we do that? Does the Lord have that much commitment? Now, I saw a preacher, and this didn't happen in the church. This happened uh, when I was growing up in a, in a different world. I saw him get fired on the spot. He was on Sunday morning. The house was full, kind of like it is now. Kind of like it is a lot of places we go on Sunday morning. And that preacher had the audacity to tell the people, goes, you know what I like about Wednesday night services? That's when you meet the faithful. And they fired him on the spot. <laughs> we have good crowds Sunday morning. How we do on Wednesday? How are we going to do tonight? Or afternoon or whenever you do it? How are we going to do during the week? Can we be there? Can the Lord at least count on us to do that? You can do that. There are things we can all do if we just will. Don't let people discourage you and tell you you can't do that. Now, Saul, being the general that he was, put his armor on David. Did you ever see a little kid wear his dad's hat? <laughs> that's, that's what I figured David looked like in that armor. He had to look like a little kid wearing his dad's football helmet or something, you know. I had a little brother and we played football and he wanted to wear my helmet. And so I gave him my helmet that we had in school. And he would run and that thing would turn around and he's trying to see out the ear hole. <laughs> That's the way I picture David in Saul's armor. And David put it off and he said, I can't do this. I haven't proved these. This isn't me. You know what? There's a saying that no two of us are alike and both of us are glad of it. And we probably are. You know what? You can't be somebody else. I can't be somebody else. I'm me. I'm me today and I'm going to be me tomorrow. You know, I felt sorry for the bunch down in the congregation down in Beaumont years ago. I was working in Pearland. Doyle Blues caused this, by the way. I will, I will throw Doyle on, under the bus. Those of you that are old enough to remember Brother Roy Hazelton and remember how Brother Roy preached, had his hand by have to do that arm had his hand behind his back you know and would stand and just kind of very go down and could quote the bible forward backwards upside down and all that stuff well he was holding a meeting in beaumont and he had to go do a funeral and they said who can we get and doyle goes hey there's a preacher over in pearland marlin let's get marlin and so I, they didn't know me at the time now, this is a shock to the system if you know Marlon's preaching and you knew Brother Roy's preaching. They weren't sure about this kid now. And you know what I tried to do? I tried to be Brother Roy. It ain't happening, people. <laughs> that dog won't hunt because I'm not Roy Hazelton. 
You know, everybody used to love to hear Truman Teal preach. I love to be able to preach like Truman, but I'm not Truman Teal. I'm Marlin. And what you see is what you get. You know who I would really have liked to have been? If of all the preachers that have ever lived that you read about, you know the one I'd like to be? I'd like to be Apollos. Somebody that the Apostle Paul looks at and goes, he's eloquent and mighty in the scripture. That's me. Yeah. I'm more like Paul, I think, because he said, I come to you with great rudeness and plainness of speech. That's, you, it is what it is, fellas. You are what you are, according to the Bill Parcells, the football coach. But you know, I can't be somebody else. I don't do studies, Bible studies, the way Pat Manning does. You know, Brother Pat told me one time, he said, Marlon, I think we can overuse humor. And I told him, I said, well, Pat, some of us can't draw endless charts. We got no choice. We got to do something. Well, take up an hour while we're up there. But you know, that's Pat. And have you ever seen that chart thing that he has made out of that? Yeah, to have a plumbing license to preach a sermon. I mean, put that thing together. It's amazing. But you know, it works for Pat. You know why it works for Pat Manning? Because he's Pat Manning. It don't work for Marlon. You know, there are guys that are very good with the PowerPoint and the technology. I feel pretty confined there. I'm not good at that. I would rather just take a Bible and, and all my notes and here we go, boys. And let's see what happens. And you know what? Y'all can't know where this sermon's going. You know why? Because I don't know where it's going. And we're going to all be surprised when we get there to the end. But that's me. That works for Marlon. It may not work for you. But you know, God wants to use all of us with our particular talents and our abilities and our methods of doing things. You know, there's people that I can't impress. I don't do very good very often in college town situations. I was at Gallatin the other day and they had a tent meeting and I brought my suits like this. And they go, uh, <clears throat> what are you planning on wearing? Oh, I go, I know it's not new, boys, but come on. And they said, we really want you to dress like a farmer. Bingo. I got that one down. <laughs> you want me to talk like that too? I can do that too. That works for me. You've got to be yourself. You've got to bring your unique approach and God-given abilities and gifts. You've got to bring that to the work. Be yourself. Don't be something you're not. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Be yourself. God made you, and he wants to use you. And that's what, that's what I think David had when he took his little slingshot and his five smooth stones and went out to fight the giant. David didn't just show up and go out there, folks. Now, a lot of people have the idea that this is a day David come up, this little squatty kid, he come up and has his little slingshot and his five smooth stones. And yes, I know preachers will say J-E-S-U-S. -S. That's probably not what David was thinking at the moment. But maybe it does, I don't know. But he had this slingshot. He had, but you know, that wasn't his first fight. You know what he told Saul, if you read this chapter? He said, your servant has been out tending sheep. And Saul's got to be going, here's a good one coming up. And there was a bear that come up on the sheep. And I killed him. You talking about going bear hunting with a toothpick. Now you're bad to the bone. You know there's a sports station at home. They don't have anything to do with price eggs in China. But 
There's a sports station at home, and they always have an official mom, an official dad. They have an official uncle of this sports station, Uncle Umberto. You remember a few years ago, this kid went swimming down in the Gulf, and a six-foot bull shark bit his arm off? Uncle Umberto ran into the water, grabbed that shark, pulled him to shore, got the kid's arm out, took him, and they saved the arm. Now, if you can do that, you bad. And they decided he's our official uncle. Well, David killed a bear. You know, if you can do that, you're bad. You're bad to the bone. I remember the first time my little brother, they lived in Alaska. I never did get to live up there, visited a time or two. First time he went moose hunting and a moose came at him. He threw the gun down and ran. And he had a gun. <laughs> That's impressive. And then it gets better. He goes, and then a lion came. You know what the problem with a lion is? There's usually more than one. And David killed that lion. David was prepared. David had worked. David didn't just go out there and go to taking on. You know, we need to do that. One of the things I want to do this week is in one of the ones I have used other places, I may want to talk about the thief on the cross a little bit. And the reason is it's a very painful story. You know, with me, it impresses me. It's got to be painful. But I heard Truman Teal, I told you about Truman, preach on it. And it was so simple a fifth grader could understand it. And I thought, I can't wait for somebody to ask me about the thief on the cross. You know, Truman ended his sermon with don't worry about the thief, worry about yourself. And I thought it was good advice too, by the way. About two or three weeks went by. I didn't go home and study my Bible. I didn't go home and open it up and get my concordance out and try to figure this stuff out. I, it was that simple. These guys knock on the door. And it was some religious workers. And we talked about baptism. And they said, what about the thief on the cross? And you know, the only thing I can remember is don't worry about it. That's impressive. Yep. Don't worry about it. That was a good answer. You know what I decided? I better crack this book and better learn about it. You know, they used to give you these Bible tapes that you could put in a cassette. <laughs> Young people, Google that. You could put it in cassette, put it under your, under your pillow and wake up in the morning quoting Bible. Isn't that cool? Maybe it was. I don't know. How does it work? How do you do it? You open this book and you read. Now, I know, I'm old-fashioned. I'm from the old school. I know this, we were, we were at church the other day and one of the young guys was preaching. and goes, you know, if you just scroll down a little, and I thought, it's a brave new world, boy. <laughs> just scroll down a little. Take, take your phone, take your iPad, whatever it is you got. Here's a novel idea. Buy a Bible. <laughs> Jay Henderson taught me something very important years ago. Don't ever do a Bible study without a Bible. I had to be taught that. Now, maybe y'all already knew that. And you know what? We need to open it. We need to read it. Now, I, I saw a sign years ago. I love church signs. You know, one of them I really like. This don't have anything to do with this sermon either. But one of the ones I really liked is, I, I guess they were, had a fundraiser going and they needed money or something. I don't know. But it said, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grudge. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, when we pass the plate, y'all keep, keep that in mind, maybe. But there was a church sign that I really did like, and it was impressive. It said, show me a man with a Bible that's fallen apart, and I'll show you a man that's got his life together. Isn't that interesting? The kids were talking the other day, and they've heard all the stories. Uh, I started preaching when I was 12, because I really wanted to do this. And... They kind of, you know, blow it off. But I went and got this wooden case. And what I'd done, I'd bought a, a, a Bible of some sort in a wooden case. And I took that Bible out and put it on the shelf. And I put this, and I, I, we opened it up. 
And I said, real gently, pull it out. And they pulled it out. And I said, turn to the first page, the fly page. And it's where my dad had written an inscription, hoping that I would hold on to the pages of that Bible and dated it 1969, 50 years ago. Well, I've been preaching longer than 50 years because I've been preaching, I guess he wanted to make sure I was really gonna do it before he spent the money on a Bible. It's a nice Bible too, but it's kind of old and falling apart. You know what is special about that? Because I've told my kids this story, I wanted a swim stingray bicycle. That's what I wanted. And I got a Bible. You know what? I guarantee you, dads, that Bible changed more lives than that Swin Stingray ever thought about changing. And it changed mine and my kids and my grandkids. You got to read it. Hide it in your heart, as David said, that you might not sin against him. He goes out there and old Goliath looks at him and goes, am I a dog that you would send this out? He was insulted. There's something about being overconfident, too, in this story, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that, that people that are overconfident, you know, pride goes before a fall, haughty spirit before the destruction, or, or reverse it, however you want to do that. That's Proverbs, by the way. Goliath was eat up with that. You know what David told him? He said, today you're going to know there's a God in Israel, buddy. And so he took that sling, Goliath approaching him, he let it fly, and it hit him in the head. I'm not sure the, the rock killed Goliath because Goliath fell down and he's unconscious basically. David took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off. And yes, I know preachers have preached sermons about here's how to get ahead, you know. So you'll be driving down the road tomorrow going, that was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> and he killed Goliath with his own sword. And lo and behold, the kid did it. He did it. And Israel rallied behind him. And they ran, and the Philistines ran. And Israel chased them as long as they possibly could and won a great victory. Now, let me give you the last thing. David didn't do that. David didn't beat Goliath. David had an ace in the hole, as we say. You know what David had? He came in the name of the living God. You're never going to win life's battles. You're never going to beat the Goliaths of the world by yourself. It's not going to happen. Satan is a roaring lion. Years ago in Gunner, there was a guy that got into exotic animals. And you know, there was an exotic animal craze and all that's where the emu thing came up. And I almost made the fateful saying, how can I get in on this? You know, and so <laughs> I didn't though. That was good. But at any rate, he got a lion in Gunner, Texas. And he had a cage for it. And I want you to know there was an uproar at the town council meeting. And you know, they made him get rid of his lion. It was in a cage. It's covered top and bottom. You know, if you go to Hugo, Oklahoma, it's the circus capital of the world. And they got three, four circuses that winter there. One of their tigers got loose and got out on the river. It ended fishing. I want you to know that until they got that tiger back. Why do you think Satan is described as a lion? That's something to be afraid of. They were afraid of lions. That's something to be afraid of. And Satan is something to be afraid of. And you will not beat him by yourself. You've got to have what David had, and that is the Lord on your side. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
But you've got to make sure that God is on your side. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you're my friends, do what I tell you to. Have you obeyed him? Is God on your side this morning? I know we have problems, folks. I know we commit sin. I know we fall short of the glory of God. That ought to be in the Bible. Oh, it is, sorry. Romans 3.23. But God still be on your side. And you can be covered in the blood. And you can start that walk with him immediately. But either way, whether you go with God or not, whether you choose God or you choose not to choose God, Goliath's out there. And I hope you don't face him alone. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand and sing?